Good morning, church. I'm joining you via video today because I did not want to miss out on preaching this sermon today. I believe this series that we're starting here is really important. And I have been thinking and praying about this for months. So we are in the second week of our series, When Love Hurts, Christian Perspectives on Domestic Violence. And before we dive in, I want to share with you five key ideas that, that we say every week as part of this series. First, this is a sensitive and painful topic. Uh, for many of you, it's not an abstract idea. It's personal. It's been part of your life story, and maybe it is even today. Second, there are four ways we can experience domestic violence. As a victim, as a perpetrator, as an observer, and as a community member. And our hope in this series is that we'll be able to speak to all of those places where you are. Third, there are many types of abuse. Physical, sexual, emotional, psychological, economic, um, spiritual, even digital. And for this series, we're going to focus in primarily on physical and sexual violence. Fourth, physical abuse, physical domestic violence, covers a lot of different behaviors. It's not just hitting. It's slapping, shoving, grabbing, biting, pulling, throwing things, threatening with a knife. All of that falls under physical domestic violence or physical abuse. And lastly, I want to give you permission. I want to give you permission to take care of yourself. If, if you need to step out, that's okay. If you'd like prayer after service, we'll be down front. If you need to talk to someone, even anonymously, I encourage you to call the National Domestic Violence Hotline, and the information is in your bulletin. And so today, our topic is how, how Scripture has been used and twisted and perverted to justify abuse. See, unfortunately, Christians have a long history of using the Bible to justify some pretty horrible atrocities. Genocide and torture during the Crusades. British colonization and the annihilation of indigenous cultures. Slavery and segregation in the U.S. Even as recent as 60 years ago. Even today, white supremacy, uh, the January 6th attack, uh, political hatred, all of these have strong biblical themes and rallying cries associated with them. So even today, Scripture is used and, and abused to justify hatred and violence. So throughout history, this has happened. Pastors, priests, and pundits would use Scripture to control, manipulate, even dehumanize other people. And the same thing happens in cases of abuse in Christian households. Now, lest we get too high and mighty thinking of ourselves, here's the truth. 
We have all misused scriptures for our own advantage and our own agendas. We all do it. Here are four of the more common ways that, that we, in normal, everyday life, manipulate scripture for our own benefit. So first, we take verses out of context. It's easy to love bumper sticker theology. You know, it's a lot harder to work and study and pray and discern to understand what passages mean. Second, we interpret the Bible to reinforce our pre-existing beliefs. See, often we let our beliefs shape Scripture, not the other way around. But we rarely, we rarely let Scripture truly change what we believe, to give up something we previously held, to believe something out of, directly out of Scripture. And then fourth, we often will use it for us and against them. See, it's amazing how often the Bible supports and forgives what we do, but condemns what the other people do. And we do that all the time. So there are plenty of ways that we use and abuse Scripture. Now, what happens when the, this misuse of Scripture becomes malicious? And Christians use it to justify violence and abuse in dating or marriage. Well, they take a much deeper, darker, more sinister tone as they are used to manipulate other people and subjugate another person. So there are three biblical ideas that are most commonly used to justify abuse. First is male headship and female submission. Two is the idea that God hates divorce. And three is the idea of a woman as helper. And we're going to look at briefly at each one of these three. Now, unfortunately, these excuses are most often used by men against women. Now, it doesn't mean that men are the bad ones. It simply means that throughout most of church history, men have held the power in Christian circles. And so it makes them more likely to abuse Scripture to reinforce their own power. So let's talk about these three. So the first, male headship and female submission. So Ephesians 5, and 23 says this, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, this passage, along with ones uh, in other spots in the New Testament, things like uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 3, 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 12, uh, and ones like those. So they have been interpreted to mean that the husband is the God-ordained head and leader over his wife and his household. And as a result, his wife should submit to his authority. And when taken to an extreme, this can mean that 
men are seen as superior to women, that husbands can rule over their wives, and wives must always obey their husbands. See, but there are a few problems with this. First, Jesus never advocates the use of power over others. Never, period, end of sentence. Jesus never advocates the use of power over others. Second, anytime there's a power imbalance, one party becomes vulnerable to abuse. It doesn't matter what the context, but anytime there's a, a differential in power, one party becomes more at risk of abuse. Third, research suggests that higher instances of abuse can be found in communities where men are privileged and women are subordinated. And this includes Christian communities. Fourth, there have been numerous reports of churches using this theology to silence women reporting abuse by their husbands or even their pastors. And fifth, it's also just a bad interpretation of Scripture. Now, headship doesn't mean dictatorship, and submission doesn't mean subservience. I would even argue that Scripture doesn't even teach headship and submission the way that many of you have been taught. And for more on that, I would recommend two sermon series that we've done in the past. First, Passive Men and Strong-Willed Women, and Relearning Relationships. We address these issues of headship and submission in detail in those series. Both of those are available on YouTube or on our website. So, but more importantly than all of that, is the biblical commands to love are abundant and irrefutable. Any form of abuse, manipulation, or control is a violation of God's command to love. And it is completely incompatible with a Christianity that follows Jesus. Second, God hates divorce. Now, this one, both husbands and wives can actually use this one against the other. This isn't principally the domain of men. And so in here, both husbands and wives can use this to pressure an abused spouse to stay in a marriage, to not report to the police or even to a friend, and to keep silent. And, and the claim would be that they would be sinning if they left the marriage because God hates divorce. So this comes out of Malachi 2.16, and it, it, and it begins like this. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. So yes, God's design for marriage is lifelong commitment. Husband and wife are joined together in one flesh. And what God has joined, let no one separate. But there's a lot of problems with using this Malachi passage to justify abuse. Starting with this very verse. 
You just have to keep reading literally the next few words to realize that God hates something else also. It starts with, For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and I hate him who covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of the armies. So be careful about your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. It's the same verse. So yeah, God may hate divorce, but he hates violent people with treacherous spirits just as much. And you can't claim one part of a verse while you reject the other part of the verse. Let's talk about the third one. Third one, a woman as helper. Now, this, this idea comes from the creation story in Genesis 2.18. Here's what it says. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, in English, it would be very easy for a husband to read this and apply his understanding of helper to this verse. The wife is a servant to the husband. She is lesser, maybe even inferior. She's just a helper. But in the original Hebrew, that interpretation just isn't even possible. You see, the word used here is, is azer. And this is a combination of two ideas. To help rescue and save and to be strong. See, unlike in English, this is an incredibly empowering word, azer. It can be seen throughout the Old Testament, and in most of the 21 uses of it in the Old Testament, this word refers to God rescuing the Israelites. This is not some domestic maid. Azer, no. This was applied to God as a rescuer, as one who is powerful. So in Genesis, the woman was not created to serve man, but to serve with man and even to rescue him from a life alone. So wives, you are azer. You are strong. Now, hopefully by now you can see how easy and how horrible it is to manipulate Scripture to justify something that is completely unbiblical. Now, let me just say this. Domestic violence is always a sin. Domestic violence is always a sin a sin. It is always a violation of the marriage covenant. It is never a part of it. But the more patriarchal your culture and your churches are, the more likely you are to encounter this in your family. You see, you might even begin to believe some of these lies and some of these distortions of Scripture because you hear them from, you've heard them from your pastors, from your dads, from your own husbands. 
And you'll begin to believe these lies for yourself. And maybe if you've heard these enough, you might even start to use them against your spouse. So how do you safeguard yourself? How do you safeguard yourself and your marriage against this temptation? Whether you're a victim, a perpetrator, or both. So here are three things that you can do to protect yourself from distorting scripture to justify abuse. First, pay attention to your excuses. Pay attention to your excuses. So when you do something hurtful or sinful against your spouse, do you make excuses or do you confess? Do you ever spiritualize the excuses? It's not just, I had a bad day. It's, you made me do it. You're, you are to submit to me. Or God hates divorce. Do you spiritualize your excuses? If so, then you need to stop. You can't use the Bible to justify sin. You can't use the Bible to justify sin. And if you have been on the receiving end of abuse, you should never use the Bible to excuse sin. Rob Reamer, the author of Soul Care, uh, who incidentally is actually coming to River Life in June for a three-day Soul Care conference, and we are super excited about it. Well, Rob Reamer writes this, You can't use the tools of the kingdom of darkness to advance the kingdom of light. You can't use the, the tools of the kingdom of darkness, sin, to advance the kingdom of light. So pay attention to your excuses. And don't use God to justify your bad behavior. Or worse, your violent abuse. So in a second, another thing you can do to safeguard yourself against falling into this trap of manipulating scripture is don't let an abuser shape your theology. Don't let an abuser shape your theology. Now, if you are in an abusive relationship with a spouse, parent, or partner, they have an enormous amount of power to shape your thinking and even your theology. And I promise you, they will distort your view of God, love, marriage, and even yourself if you let them. Instead, find some friends, even one friend, whose faith you really admire and spend some time with them. Spend a lot of time with them. Come to church as much as you can. Get involved in a life group. Surround yourself with people who will speak truth into your life, who will speak life into you instead of take life from you. Third, the third thing you can do to help safeguard yourself against this slippery slope 
is bring secrets into the light. Bring secrets into the light. Lies thrive in darkness. They grow bigger and stronger, like mold or cockroaches. See, bringing your secrets into the light dismantles lies. It dismantles shame. It breaks down isolation. Tell someone. Call the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Talk to someone. And last week, we, we, we talked about the idea that abuse violates the image of God in another. After service and throughout the week, I had the privilege of being on the receiving end of people telling their story. Stories of, of hurt and violence and abuse. They were heartbreaking, but I knew how much power there was in taking a secret out of the darkness into the light. See, the enemy of your soul wants to keep you in darkness. Jesus Christ invites you to step into the light. Remember, the Bible never endorses abuse. The Bible never endorses abuse. Abuse is always sin. Pray with me, church. God, your, break, your heart breaks over every woman and every man who is subjected to abuse. We as your creation and as your adopted children, you love us, you cherish us, and your heart breaks over the sin of abuse. God, I pray against every stronghold and every lie that has been set up in churches, in families, and in people's hearts, where Scripture is used to justify sin. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ against every one of these walls, every one of these strongholds, that they shall not stand. Jesus Christ, bring freedom to every person listening or praying this prayer. Free them from the lies that they have believed, that have justified their actions, or used to make excuses for somebody else's. Give courage to those who need to step into the light and bring someone they deeply trust around them to help in that process. God, you promise that the, the darkness shall not overcome the truth. And so we pray that today for River Life Church. Bring healing to us and break down the lies that have justified abuse. Thank you, Lord. I pray this 
In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen.